If you will, join me in taking out your physical copies of God's Word and turning with me to Genesis chapter 37. The passage is a little different than what is printed in the bulletin this morning. We're going to be reading from chapter 37, verses 23 through 26, and then flipping a few pages later. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Now to Genesis chapter 42, verses 6 through 22. Now, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you, or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mark. The Lord be with you. This morning, we're in part two of this series, Living the Dream, looking at the, one of the longer narratives in the Bible in the story of Joseph and the way he points forward beyond himself to a revelation of God's love for us given to us in Jesus. And we're in the second part of that. We, we looked last week kind of bird's eye view of, of the whole picture. And uh, today, we're going to drill down a little bit more deeply into this story and look at a couple of particular things that um, we need to have our hearts drawn to. Um, God 
has given us all a kind of internal time machine. Memories that we have can take us to the past, and dreams that we have can carry us into the future. Uh, Joseph's dream, however, that he had as a 17-year-old boy of his brothers bowing down to him was something that had become, for him, a nightmare. He came to his brothers, and as you heard read this morning in chapter 37, when they saw him coming, these other brothers, they viewed him with treachery and envy, and they said, here comes, literally it says, here comes that master of dreams. Here comes the master of dreams. Let's kill him. So they stripped off his coat and they threw him into a pit. They threw him down into this pit and he's crying out to them for help, but they, they won't listen. And then he's sold off into Egypt to a band of Ishmaelites who carry him there. There he goes through a whole series of false accusations, being thrown into prison and so on. This dream, this word from God that had come to him, which was something that he cherished and he held on to, was nevertheless something that tested him. One of the most important things we have to learn is that the promises in which we trust also become the vehicles of our test. There are many times in life where those things which we're holding on to with regard to the promises of God, don't look anything like what's happening. It doesn't look like what God has said is taking place in our lives. We're in these places of great difficulty, and there isn't any joyful harvest. There isn't anything that's going on that looks like the things that we're holding on to that we, we sense that God has promised to us, that we read about in His Word, are finding fulfillment. And so we find ourselves singing the kinds of words we sang today, a beautiful affirmation of faith. When it's all going well, when the sun's shining down on me, blessed be the name of the Lord. But also, also, when things are not going well, when things are a total disaster, blessed be the name of the Lord. When I'm walking through the wilderness and everything is sorrow, as it was for Joseph in this situation, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then you sing this chorus part of it. The Lord gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, what's that from? That's a quotation from the book of Job, who lost everything. Health, wealth, family. It was stripped away from him. He had nothing left. His wife said to him, just curse God and die. She was a blessing. And uh, it says that in the middle of that, Job simply fell on his face and worshiped and said, you give and take away, blessed be your name. How do you get to this place where you are blessing the Lord, trusting him in the middle of it all, even that which is horrifying? In Psalm 105, it says this about this experience that Joseph was having. God called for a famine on the land, and he broke the whole staff of bread, and he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons, listen to this, until the time that God's word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. There's a word concerning your life that God will bring to pass, but until it comes to pass, 
the promise you're holding on to is also something you carry with you, and it brings you into places of testing so that our lives grow and we're prepared then by God to serve in the area in which he's going to fulfill his promise. Joseph's dream was literally fulfilled. His brothers did come down and bow to him, but it was not fulfilled in the way that Joseph would have ever imagined. It's not the course he would have set. It's not in any way the kind of thing he could have planned for. It's what God planned. It's what we call providence, how God works things out because the dream that God gives while it involves us is never about us. The dreams that God gives are about his kingdom. He puts things into people's hearts, and it puts them into positions where there are things that happen in their lives which are really not for them. They're for the sake of others. And so this famine comes. This famine comes to the land. It comes to Egypt. And Joseph finds himself now on the throne of Egypt, and he's, he's ruling, and he's distributing food to the hungry. And that famine spread all over that region of the world, including the land of Canaan, where Jacob was, and all those brothers. And so Jacob sends those brothers to Joseph, and here they come. They need food too. They come in and bow down. Here are the brothers that come to Joseph. And as you heard read to you this morning, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't, they didn't recognize him. A lot of years had passed. And while these were the same brothers that had sold him away, Joseph wondered if they were all still the same. Were they the same in their hearts as they were back then? Now, we noted last week that at the end of the story, Joseph is reconciled with his brothers. We find him weeping on their necks, hugging them, embracing them, revealing himself to them. There's this tremendous reconciliation that happens. But it doesn't happen right away. It's not the very first thing that happens. Joseph brings his brothers into a situation where he tests to see where their hearts are. Are these still the brothers that have hearts to betray? Are these still the brothers that would do harm to each other? This family was a mess. We need to realize this. I do think that sometimes when people read the Bible, they think the characters in there are clergy. It's important to realize that's not the case. These people were everyday people. They were business people. They were shepherds. They were fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. They were doing life not inside a church building. They weren't professional Christians. These are people who are trying to live before God. And here's the interesting thing about it. These, this family, this family of Jacob is filled with envy. It's filled with murderous hatred. When you read it, you'll discover it's filled with sexual brokenness and hatred. In other words, this family is a disaster. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning about other families that are a disaster. But I think it's important for us to realize that when you read this epic saga, you're reading about God's grace taking hold of people who are a mess. That's where it all begins. All the hatred, all the envy, all the betrayal, 
That's where they were. And these were God's chosen people. God chooses the weak. God chooses the foolish. God chooses the things that are not, Paul writes, to confound the things that are. These aren't the people you would have looked at and said, here's some good people for God to use. But see, that's the mystery of God's mercy. God comes and takes hold of people who don't deserve it. He comes and takes hold of people with his mercy precisely because they don't deserve it. And they become vehicles through which his mercy and his grace and love are seen. And that's what happens with this family. This morning, if you're sitting there thinking, you're a mess, your family's a mess, whatever, you could be right in the middle of the Bible story. You're the perfect candidate for how grace and mercy will be shown to the world. That's what happens here. So Joseph sets up this test. It begins, you know, see, with a feast. It all starts, this whole story starts with a feast. It's a terrible feast. They take Joseph and they throw him in that pit. And then as the text says, his brothers sat down to eat. And they're eating and they're drinking and they're having their roast lamb out there where they're caring for the flock, passing the bread around, passing the wine around. And as it says later here in the book of Genesis, Reuben says, after after they've they've been confronted, Reuben goes, I told you, I told you we should should have listened to, to Joseph when he was crying in that pit. In other words, when they're over there eating, they can hear the sounds of their brother down in the bottom of that pit. Let me out. Please help me. And they closed their ears to their brother's cries while they sat and had their feast around the fire that night. And then they sold him. Well, now here they come. Here come these brothers. They're the same brothers, but are the brothers the same? And so Joseph brings them forward, and he creates for them a couple of tests. He says to them, you're spies. No, 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 no. We're not spies. We're not spies. We have our father back there in the homeland, and, and we have another brother. We have another brother. And, and w- w- we had another brother, but, you know, he's gone. Joseph's looking at him. Yeah, right. He says, here's what I want you to do. Let's find out if you're truth tellers. I'm going to keep one of your brothers here. And I want you to go back, and I want you to go back home, and I want you to get your younger brother, this brother you're telling me about, and I want you to bring him to me. And I'm going to hold on to this brother until you come back. Joseph's going to find out if they're still the kind of people who would forsake their brother and leave him in prison. Or are they truth tellers? Will they go back? Have they told the truth about their father? Have they told the truth? Have they told the truth about this other brother he's never met, whose name is Benjamin? Are they telling the truth because they they didn't tell the truth about him? What kind of men are these? So they go. They go back home. They take food back, and they get that, and it's time to go get more food. And they say to Jacob, we've got to bring Benjamin. We've got to bring Benjamin with us. And so what happens is they bring Benjamin back, and Joseph brings them to a feast, different kind of feast. They're sitting around this table, and he puts Benjamin in the place of honor. He gives him a double portion of all of the food. 
This is his younger brother who he'd never met. He's been born in his absence, Benjamin. And there he is. And he's being honored. And then he sends them all home. He goes, okay, I want you guys to all go back now. And he puts the food, all this grain in their bags to carry back. But he does something, he does something incredibly clever. He takes a silver chalice and he puts it in Benjamin's bag without them knowing it. He ties up the bags and he sends them off. And then he sends his chief steward, kind of the head of the bodyguard. He says, I want you to go out there. I want you to find the one who's got my silver chalice is missing. I want you to go find that one and the one in, the one in whom the bag is. I want you to bring him back here. Somebody, he stole it. He's going to be my slave forever. What's Joseph doing? And so he brings them back. Because out goes the bodyguard. He goes, hey, you guys are thieves. You were honored with a feast. And you've stolen the family's silver here. No, 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 we haven't stolen anything. Open the bags and look. So they open it up, and there it is. There's the chalice in Benjamin's bag. They're all looking at Benjamin like, what are you doing? What did you do? Benjamin, I, I, what? Looks guilty. Looks like he stole it. So they're just, you get they got to go back. Reuben turns to his brothers and goes, Reuben's going, I told you so. I told you so. We sh you should have listened to me. This is all about Joseph. You they end up back there. So Joseph looks at him. He goes, I knew you guys were thieves. I knew you were. What's he after? See, he's found out whether or not they're the kind of men who would forsake a brother. Well, they didn't forsake a brother. They came back. But now he wants to know if they're the kind of people who would sacrifice themselves for a brother. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. You all are not guilty. It's just this guy, Benjamin, who's guilty. It's just him. So I'm going to keep him. He's going to become my slave, and you can all go home. That's where it gets interesting. Because somebody steps up. And it's over in chapter 44. I'm going to start reading in verse 15 of chapter 44. Joseph said to them, what have you done? Don't you know that a man like me can practice divination? And Judah said, would you say that with me? And Judah said. Now see, here's what's interesting. If we go back to that time when Joseph was 17... And he came to his brothers and they ripped off his multicolored coat and they said, let's get rid of him. Who was it among the brothers that said, let's throw him in the pit. Let's sell him into slavery. Let's make a profit from his life. We'll, we'll dip his robe in blood and we'll lie to our father. Let's get rid of him. Who was it that said that? It was Judah. It was Judah. And now, years later, here's Joseph saying, I'm going to keep Benjamin. You can all go home. The brothers are standing there, thunderstruck, dumbstruck. He's going to keep Benjamin as his slave? And we've got to go home without Benjamin? Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? How can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. 
But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found will become my slave. As for you, go in peace. Go back to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O oh my Lord, let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. Verse 19. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Do you have a father or a brother? And we told my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a younger brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead. He alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. And you said to his servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father. If he would leave his father, his father would die. And you said, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you'll never see my face again. So we went back to your servant, my father. We told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we can't go. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we can go. We cannot go back to Joseph unless our youngest brother is with us. Can't go back to see that man's face. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know my wife bore me two sons. One left me and said, surely he has been torn to pieces and I've never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs in evil down to the dead. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then, don't miss this phrase, as his life, Jacob, Jacob's life, is bound up in the boy's life, in Benjamin's life. As the father's life is bound up in Benjamin's life. As soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he'll die. Verse 32, your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame. Verse 33, now therefore let your servant remain instead of the boy and be your slave and let the boy go home. There's this incredible moving moment in Les Mis where Jean Valjean sings a prayer, bring him home, bring him home. Whenever I read that passage, I hear that, that music, bring him home. Listen to what Judah said. Judah said, master of Egypt, he didn't know it was Joseph. I can't leave Benjamin here with you because my father, without Benjamin, he'll just die. His life is bound up with his. And so, and so, listen to what Judah said. I offer myself as a substitute for my brother. Take me. Take me instead. So that my brother can go home to the father. Centuries later, a descendant of this man, Judah, a person the Bible calls the lion of the tribe of Judah, will look upon you and me and he will say, the life of my father 
is bound up in the life of my brothers and sisters. And I can't go home. I can't go back to my father without you. There's a song, the lyric of which goes something like, he didn't want heaven without you. You know, that's true. See, there were many points along the way in which Jesus could have said, that's enough. I've sacrificed enough. I've given enough. Why would I give my life for all these people? Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. When he was betrayed, when he was sold, Peter took out his sword and he started swinging it and he cut off a guy's ear and he didn't cut it off because he was aiming at his ear. They were going to take some people out. And Jesus said, put your sword away. Don't you know, don't you know that if I wanted to escape, I could call multitudes of angels and they would fight this battle and deliver me. But I have come for this purpose, to sacrifice myself. And Jesus, the son of Judah, the lion of Judah, he steps up and he says, my father's heart is tied up with the hearts of all of these people and I can't leave them behind. I will be the sacrifice. Jesus offered himself so that you and I would not remain slaves in Egypt but be brought all the way home to our Father. It happened because of a feast. Because Joseph gathered them at a table and unleashed the revelation of a day that was coming when someone, someone, because of love, would sacrifice himself to bring us home to the Father. And that is why we keep coming back to these feasts. That's why you keep coming back to this table. And when you come to this table every Lord's Day, you are seeing the evidence of the, the descendant of Judah who says, I will be surety. I will be the sacrifice. I can't go back to my father without you. And he won't. And he didn't. He sacrificed himself. And in that moment, we have two questions to answer. One is, do we really believe that the Father loves us that much? Listen, my friends, God's not mad at you. God's not disillusioned with you. He had no illusions to begin with. God is not angry with you. He is not furious with you. He does not want to discard you. He cherishes you. He cares for you. He wants fellowship with you. In the words of Jacob, if I don't have you with me, I die. That's heaven's cry. And so Jesus, the Lion of Judah, steps up and says, I'll be the sacrifice. I'll become the slave so that the ones that were slaves may live and be with the Father. And then the second question is this. When we come to this table, in what state is our heart? Do we believe the love of the Father and, and, listen to this, are we like the brothers at the first feast who when we hear the cry of others close our ears? Do we just pass the bread and the wine 
But we don't hear the cry of people this morning around the world. who cry out, help me. And we close our ears. This is just between me and Jesus. It's all about me and Jesus. But it never is all about just me and Jesus. There's a vertical dimension to the cross. It's a reconciliation between God and you, but there's a horizontal dimension, and it comes through in this supper too, because we not only are reconciled to God at this table, but we are then committed to each other at this table and no more envy and no more anger and no more hatred and no more bitterness and no more unforgiveness is permitted in this family of believers. We're forgiving each other, we're serving each other, we're helping each other along the way in the journey. And when it comes to the cries of people that are in desperate places, when we come to this table, we're saying, yes, Father, we believe you love us and we love you. But we hear the words of the apostle when he said, no man can say I love God and hate his brother. And so to come to this table this morning is to be reminded that Judah stepped up and said, I'm going to sacrifice myself because the heart of my father is bound up with yours. And it also means our ears are going to be open to the cry of people. Whether those people are in Haiti, or those people are in Europe, or China, or across the street, we cannot close our ears to their cry because God did not close his heart to ours. Judah said, I will be the sacrifice. Dear friends, I tell you this morning, you are cherished by God the Father, and you are called by his love to rest in his grace and then to go in his name to bless those who are hurting. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the lion of the tribe of Judah who stepped forward in history and said, the heart of the Father is tied up in the life of my brothers and sisters and I can't go back to him without them. And he died on the cross to bring us all the way home. Lord, help us to trust in that amazing love and open our ears then to the, the cries of those around us, the distress of those that maybe even we've betrayed, who we've injured. Deliver us from our envies and our fears. Deliver us from our anger and our bitterness. And bring us back into communion, not only with you, but with each other. And then in mission to the hurting and the broken. And do this, I pray, Lord, in the feast around this table. We pray in the name of the son of Judah who gave his life for us. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
Brothers and sisters, let's stand together and with one heart and one voice confess our faith together. We're going to use words from the Westminster Confession of Faith today about this great reconciliation which has been affected for us through Jesus. Beloved, how are you reconciled to God? The Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he, through the eternal spirit, once offered up to God, has fully satisfied the justice of his Father. He purchased not only reconciliation, but also an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father has given to him. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning for the offering? You've seen your worship bulletin. We had this outrageously huge giving in December, and then in January we've been doing our level best to undo it. And... Um, <laughs> Let's pray that we finish the month well and move forward together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the, the great grace that you have given to us in Jesus. Thank you for the love you've bestowed in our hearts. Help us now, Lord, to be faithful stewards of your many gifts. We return this portion to you. Use this for the extension of your kingdom and the glory of your name. We pray in the matchless, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's be seated and worship the Lord in our giving. Amen. Let's all stand. How good it is to be cherished by the Lord. You are surrounded this morning by people who are loved of the Lord and whom we are all called to love. And so let's do that in the power of the Spirit. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Let's go in grace blessing the Lord and giving Him glory. Amen.